Hey, Peace Nicks. Today's guest is Josh Smith. He hosts the Pineal Podcast. I was a guest on his podcast earlier this year, and I really enjoyed talking with him. He named his podcast after the pineal gland, which is the gland in our brain that is also known as the third eye, uh, the gland that, theor- that theoretically may produce DMT. And we kind of connected on psychedelics, and that's where we started. Um, but today's podcast, we really didn't touch much on psychedelics or the war on drugs. So this podcast is kind of a reprieve from those things because there are many other things that are very important that are happening in the world with climate change, overconsumption. And we kind of just went on those, we stayed on those roads. And it was really fascinating talking with him and learning. And I enjoyed these conversations so much. So thank you so much for listening. And we're going to go ahead and dive into this episode with Josh Smith of The Pineal Podcast. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug Drugs are menacing our society. Any thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the piece on drugs. On drugs. All right. Josh, good to good to talk to you again. You too, man. How you been? I've been really well, and I I see that you're you're in a a new chapter of your life. Uh, yeah. I uh, I had a daughter seven weeks ago, so uh, life's uh, life certainly changed, but it's awesome. She starts smiling, so it's re- it's really cool. That's amazing, man! Congratulations. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so, so that's just, I mean, I couldn't imagine this is such a big, uh, you know, change in, in life and, and just to see, to bring life into the world. It's, it's incredible. Uh, yeah. I mean, my partner who brought her into this world is incredible. Um, yeah, the hospital system and the way we don't support individuals and patients, uh, like, dealing with the hospital system through pregnancy when we wanted to have an out-of-hospital birth. It was uh, certainly interesting, and it, I guess it's a reflection on how, whether it's pregnancy or psychiatry or uh, <laughs> vaccines right now, um, our medical system does not, uh, it supports pharmaceutical uh, options over um uh, more natural uh, options or listening to the patient. It's all based on the legal liability and standard of care, which is really just bullshit for uh, making sure we don't get sued by doing exactly what the system tells us to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and it's, it's interesting. Like say they want you to bring your child into the world in a hospital setting. And they also, when we die, they want us to die in a hospital setting. I mean, um, it's, it's just interesting. I'm actually reading this book right now by Ram Dass, um, walking each other home. And it's, um, he's talking about, uh, when he went to India for the first time, he was in the, um, the, the, was it the Ganges river and, or not in the river, but he's in a town by the river and it's where people would go to die. And he, he, when he got there, people were dying in the streets, like with all kinds of afflictions. And he felt so bad for these people. Like, why aren't they in a hospital? Why aren't they being helped? But then when he stayed there, he was like, that was his Westerner attitude towards it. And he realized he's like, they were actually feeling bad for me. 
because he's like, here I am. He's like, basically they, they were, they, they were dying and they knew they were dying and that's where they wanted to die. They actually were, were completing their life there. That was a, you know, as part of their Hindu beliefs that the river is going to take them into the next realm. And, and that our version of being in a hospital on a bunch of drugs and trying to be as comfortable as possible is actually backwards, completely backwards. And, um, and we do, we hide death, we hide it behind walls. Whereas in other countries, people can die in the living room with their family, like the way it was intended. I mean, it's interesting, the, uh, the hospital aspect of our culture. Yeah, and we have certainly have an unhealthy relationship with death uh, in our culture. But yeah, what now with the hospital, because um, I have negative associations with hospitals because the only time I've ever gone there is when something's wrong um, or when someone is dying or, or near life end. Uh, but so then to... So then to also put the birthing in there, and it's it's so interesting because in the hospital, they really treat birthing as like not something that is a normal and natural part of being human. It is treated as a medical procedure in which all the doctors and nurses are bringing their worst case scenario fear-based mindset into it. Um, I uh, Our doctor didn't know what mother-led pushing was. Um, and basically it's, it's, uh, we took hypnobirthing, uh, which is kind of really cool and taught us a lot, but then my partner did a lot of work beforehand, um, to prepare to, to do a natural birth. Um, and because we ended up in the hospital, uh, I, you know, it wasn't our normal plan. And I had to reiterate all these things while it was happening and just, uh, Mother-led pushing is the uh, the fact that the mother intuitively knows what to do and how to breathe down her baby, and and by a doctor or nurse telling you when to push, which is also often only necessary because of uh, the the drugs that we give uh, women, which is obviously their choice, but uh, then it makes them less capable when they're on pain management to feel their body, um, and but like anyone telling you to do something, um, it takes you out of, uh, what can best be described to me? Cause it's interesting. I'm having this conversation with you as similar to a psychedelic experience. Um, birthing is, is a variation and I, you know, with intense pressure that you and I will never get the joy of feeling. Uh, but, uh, similar into, in, uh, altered states of consciousness. Um, and so the idea that someone's telling you to do something in an altered state of consciousness would take you out of the zone that you need to be in. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's been, you know, hundreds and thousands, millions of years that we've evolved without any of these hospital settings, without these drugs, but to play devil's advocate, I think what a doctor might say about home birth, birth versus hospital birth would be, there is a chance of complications in any pregnancy. And if you were in a hospital, they're better, better equipped to handle it. Now that's, is the fear they're, they're sell, selling. But I, I guess you, in a way though, it, it is true that if you go have complications, that there is a, a higher chance of something happening, but also that that's a part of life. If something happens that you could say that like, well, if, I mean, there is a risk of dying in a lot of the things we do. And again, it goes back to our um, unnatural fear of death. We have this, um, it too, it's too much attachment. And that's what Ram Dass talks about. We are so attached to everything that we view death as this horrible thing because we're going to lose everything. But that's because we're attached to things that aren't 
even i mean they're real but they're only real for this brief whatever this existence is and that maybe death might be the most beautiful thing actually i was listening to your last podcast um and and she was talking about uh, somebody you had looked up to had just died i hadn't uh, heard of him oh tian han yep yep and uh she's and he just died and she actually said and you didn't realize that she knew him but she was like yeah he was one of my teachers and she said she was so happy when she heard that for him and uh, you never hear that and i was i was like that's so powerful and i'm also reading this book right now from ron das who would have said the same thing most people go oh my god i'm so sorry that's so tragic she said i'm so happy for him Cause he's, you know, he's went to the next plane of existence, the next, whatever it is. And it's an interesting way to view death as a, it's almost like a release. It's a, it, and I think we, I think we do view it wrong. And I think that uh, death might be the most amazing experience you, you'll ever have. I mean, life was also, I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Uh, I think uh, I watched a documentary with Ram Das. Uh, before he died, after he had his stroke. Uh, and he talked about, you know, even the way that he approached um, life after the stroke, because he wasn't able, he didn't have use of his body. And so he had to rely completely on AIDS um, to to do everything for him to, to move around. And he said it provided an opportunity to accept help and go within even deeper. And that was kind of the magical part. Um, yeah, death, uh, our fear of death is easily turned against us by the powers uh, that seek to control uh, everything going on here. And we just watched it with the, the pandemic um, and the ability of leaders to um, infringe upon civil liberties of the people when death and fear of it is what pervades uh, the environment. Um, you know, every, everyone everyone has their own uh, version or or fear of what that is. I my. Uh, experiences on psychedelics uh, certainly have me reach a level of comfort with whenever or however that transition happens. Uh, and I will just continue to enjoy here and now uh, until it does. Uh, and, you know, it, to worry, um, to worry about anything it it seems foolish to me um and so this this worry uh that we attach to death like i'm not going to have enough time uh as, as if time isn't illusory in the first place but when people are worried about not having enough time you often see them not enjoying their time in the present they're worried about having not enough time uh to continue here but what is the what is the point of here if you're always thinking about there? Exactly. And and also it's something that we know is inevitable. We don't know when it will happen to each of us individually, but we know it will happen. And you know, could you imagine like if you knew something was just inevitable, was a hundred percent like was going to happen, like say your house was going to burn down at this particular date, and you just knew that that was going to happen, there's nothing you could do about it. 
would you spend your the whole rest of your time with that house trying to to prevent it and trying to i mean again i'm not talking about not living healthily and trying to live the longest most health, healthy life but the fact that you sit there going to fear something and worry about something and and spend any of your time here in a state of anxiety over something that you can't control and you can't stop. Why would you do that? Cause this is our one life that we know for sure. And it's an experience. And I think we should just spend your time enjoying it. And I do spend too much time thinking about death and I've been trying, that's why I'm reading this book. I'm trying to, to just stop. I don't know if it's cause my 40th birthday is right around the corner. If, you know, if that's what it is, but I just, for the first time in my life, I've become almost like freaked out by the idea of mortality uh, um, and and also that makes me freaked out about life itself. I'm like, what is this? And I, and I get lost into these thought patterns that just, I shouldn't I go even go down that road. Just don't do that. Well, is it your own death that you're thinking about or just death in general? Death in general. Uh, Cause you know, you know, I have family members getting older that, you know, that won't be here forever. And I think about them and like, what is the, what, what does it mean when that, when I lose them, I've lost a lot, you know, a lot of friends and I just, um, and, and pets, you know, I have pets that I've loved to death. And then, you know, you have to bury them. And it's like, man, like, like it's just a strange phenomenon. But again, I enjoyed the, the shit out of those pets. I had great time with them while they were here and they had a great time. And I think that's the, the important part that, you know, you, it is, it's life. Yeah. Know. How much love do you share between the endpoints that are assigned? Um, I think that's a good measure. Uh, and that's what you get with a pet in, uh, yeah, my dog's nine and a half. I hope he lives till 16 or 17. I have no idea. Um, and that'll be hard when he's gone and I've had other dogs and it's all part of the joy of this experience is to feel it all. And, uh, you know, it's, you give him or them or they, or she, uh, who, whatever pronouns we're assigning to pets now, uh, you, you give them as much love as you possibly can. And I think, um, boundless love would be a good goal towards, uh, towards those in this existence, even the ones we, uh, disagree with, um, because disagreeing with others, it's really, it's, it's like, we're going to disagree with others. There's a whole lot of us here, but um, how do we respond to that disagreement? Is it triggering us in some way? And that's really something for us to explore and it'll help uh, release these boundaries that we've created in our mind, I think. Yeah, and that's I think that's very well said. And I, I, if there's ever been a purpose for people to tell, what's the purpose of life? And I think love is the answer for that. And I remember the first time I ever smoked DMT, when it first hit me, the first thing I felt was this infinite love. And it was so profound. And it was just a feeling. It wasn't like words or structure or you know, anything linguistic. It was just a feeling viscerally that you knew was real. And then I've done DMT other times when it wasn't that, but that's because it had already shown me that. That's the first thing it wanted to show me was love. And then after that, it shows you some other things. Part of it might be like, hey, enjoy your life. You don't have to be in this realm right now. You'll, you'll get your chance later. And I, I really think that if people knew uh, how important it is to love. And you know, like you said, our people that we don't agree with, we, we should be able to have disagreements without the the hate that's happening. And that's what we see on uh, right now, like on social media, where people disagree. And, I, and I'll be reading a debate that someone's having and someone will be making a really great point. And then they'll end it with like, you fucking piece of shit. And it's like, all right, you just ruined everything you said before that 
by throwing that little thing at the end. Like, why did you have to go that like to that place of hate? You were making a valid point, and I think we should be able to disagree, but we should be able to we should be having a conversation, not just throwing shit at the wall. Uh, I think it was Yoda who said, "Fear leads to hate. Hate leads to or, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering." Um, yeah, it's uh, it really just loses the argument at the end when you go to the emotional ad hominem attacks that don't actually debate what's going on, but attack the messenger. Um, and it's, you know, it's one thing when you're punching up against politicians uh, or, or the uber wealthy, um, but this vitriol uh, anger towards our neighbors for having disagreements on how to uh, live our lives. Um, one thing I, I know is that everybody has an opinion on how you should live your life and how you should raise your kids. Um, and we have the ability not to listen to them. Uh, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, and I, I think all this anger that we have towards each other and our neighbors is uh, well utilized by the power structures to never have us uh, join together in unity and make real changes, but to keep us fighting uh, amongst each other in a system that really doesn't take care of us or our neighbors. Um, they have us fighting on, you know, it's never an economic issue. It's never going to change the system. It's never going, uh, us fighting, uh, is not going to end the military industrial complex. The climate bill that they just passed today ha has uh, mandated oil uh, infrastructure that's being put in there. It's not a climate bill, um, but their you know propaganda words are very good. It's an inflation reduction act that won't reduce inflation because it's all just corporate greed. Gas prices are high, food prices are high, cost of healthcare are high because then it keeps us angry at each other. It's easy when we when we aren't secure in our persons, um, it's easy to get us hating each other and always wanting to blame someone. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the thing is that they want us to constantly be doing this so that they can do whatever they're doing up on top. And it's um, the, the climate issue is, is so I, I was I'm reading this book, I should say listening to this book on Audible called um, How the World Really Works by Václav Smil. And um. And it's really incredible. He talked, but he talks about the actual the problem. I hate to say the problem with our with the environment is really going to come down to population. There's just too many people, and there's no way to sustain it. We could. He, what he said is, and he, he has all the math. It's actually pretty boring, uh, but really interesting, fascinating. But you have to go through all these numbers and math. But he's explaining that if we if every single person went vegan and uh, we went to clean energy and, and everything, but we kept the same amount of uh, everybody wanted to consume the amount that they consume and drive the, or whatever, you know, everything the same, but went to those clean energies and everything, it still wouldn't be enough. We have to change the whole fabric of society has to change. It's not the earth was never meant to sustain 8 billion people using the amount of energy that we use, no matter where we get the energy. It's, it's they say, I think he put it in a way that was interesting. He said in manual labor terms, uh, the amount of energy the average person uses today, you'd have to have 60 people working 24 hours a day constantly to maintain that and to keep, to create that energy that we use every single day. Yeah. I mean, I think there is no doubt that uh, 
we are destroying the planet um between the wars we're waging the energy we're using monocropping and animal agriculture deforestation uh ocean trawlers digging up the ocean which uh you know everyone thinks the amazon is the lungs of the planet well they are on on the top but the ocean actually uh does a whole lot for uh oxygen and uh co2 reduction um the way we're living is harmful and not in harmony uh with our planet i think when it comes specifically to overpopulation uh it serves us to to be careful in the ways that we're trying to uh limit that um you know china's one child policy obviously had detrimental effects um and then also uh who's trying to to say that it's specifically population i i agree when any population so long as we're not killing the predators uh <laughs> reaches a overabundance of resources and then the resources go down the population is going to go down and at the same time i think there's better ways to live in harmony uh with the whole thing the best population controls have shown to be women's education um making sure women are educated in society uh and then just access the contraception and education about that i i think that 100%. has to be people's own choice um and organized religions have historically always pushed uh you know more and more people but i i think like i you know and some of the hardcore climate zealots um would say that having any kids uh is wrong in this society yeah it's like well then you're advocating for the end of humanity yeah, um but we're going to have sense. we're going to try to have to um and you know like uh the replacement rate i, I believe is like 2.2 and and uh you know it, it's that's gotta that's gotta be up to people i i oh I, i'm a hundred percent when i when i say the population is a problem don't get me wrong i have no point no i've a hundred percent think that mandating any sort of uh right telling people how many kids they can have is ridiculous and like you i 100 agree too as it's a lot of third world countries with low education rates and low and no uh, access to contraceptives are having a lot more children so that's where you start and it's through education and through economic growth or, and, but economic growth is another weird word because we want to the third world we wanted to bring them up from their poverty and they might have less children but economic growth also means more people but i think and i haven't finished this book so i don't know what, what if he's going to get to a place of resolve but i don't think his point's going to be um that they're that, that it's hopeless or anything i think it's going to be we're going to need some kind of new innovation new technologies and and that's going to be i think the best way to get out of where we're at it's going to have to be some kind of technology that we don't know yet and um and that might be right around the corner and i hate to get a little conspiratorial when i when i bring up aliens but um there's been all these weird sightings and stuff and you wonder if they're because he also brought up a hypothetical thing of if we were being monitored by another alien uh race and they want they were they would monitor our planet based on our energy our energy consumption and all this stuff for you know for millions of years nothing would change and then over the last few hundred years they would just see this huge shift and that would bring them 
And he wasn't even, he was using it as an example of our energy change, not actually talking about aliens. But then I was listening to another podcast about all these alien sightings. And you would think this would be the time that a, another more technologically advanced race could come in and say, hey, we, 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 you're going to need some of this technology that we have or something. And again, that's conspiratorial. And who knows if that's even a possibility. But I don't know, what do you think about this the alien thing that's going on? Um, I think Gandhi said, uh, the world has enough for every man's need, but not enough for every man's greed. Um, and when we stratify the highest income earners, uh, which even America needs to change substantially. Um, when I say, even like the whole of America and the way we use energy, um, I, and, and I saw, I saw a meme recently and it was showing all the flights between like New York city and all the surrounding, you know, Boston, Philadelphia. And it said every single flight is a policy failure, um, in that region. Cause it could just be a bullet train or something to that effect that would get all these people moving and, and change our energy. But those are, those are systemic issues. Um, when it comes to aliens, I think anything that is, uh, uh possible in this universe can absolutely happen anything and everything is possible in this universe um i am less uh that is not an area i have explored so much so i don't uh <laughs> Me I, either. I, I, I yeah yeah i so i don't i don't have too many feelings about that just knowing that um it it starts with us like, what can I do in my own life to make changes? And every little one of us does matter. And every decision we make matters. And when I see trash on the trail and I pick it up, that matters. And when I eat plant-based foods, that matters to the whole. And we also, as we make those changes individually, we will also change as a society. And part of it is taking responsibility for our own actions. And then part of it is reclaiming our power uh, over the structures that have too much control and and don't care about any of this. Yeah. yeah. And when you talk about like a plant-based diet, the, the thing is about, because um, he talks about the energy consumption, uh, the energy that's used for different foods and um, yeah, meats way up there. Uh, even even like people talk about farm raised fish and he's like well the the salmon and stuff like that the amount of feed that they have to have is extremely you lose so much energy when when it's converted into the pro, uh, animal proteins um chicken of of the meats chicken is the most efficient um on a global scale but um as far as plant based it's going to be much more efficient because you're not converting plant into meat through an animal and an animal that we're not consuming the whole animal either we're consuming a small portion of the animal and um, but one of the funny, uh, weird things that I found out was t uh, how inefficient tomatoes are. Uh, if you know that, that tomatoes are because they're 95% water and because of the transport and because of all the plastics they have to use to grow them for uh, covering the soil and everything else, that tomatoes are extremely environmentally inefficient foods to eat um, and not that nutritious. Well, and tomatoes are one of the things that literally everyone could grow on their porch or in their backyard. Yes, very definitely very oh. simply and so when it comes to these horrible food systems that we have um it, there really needs to be a decentralization uh back in 19 
40 to 45, uh, World War II, um, they started uh, Victory Gardens. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but basically the U.S. government encouraged everybody because of shortages to start growing on their lawns and in their backyards. And at that time, we were able to produce 45% of the fruits and vegetables used in America were produced in front and back lawns uh, by the consumer. And the U.S. government also put out information on how to be farming and even gave out some seed. Now, they would never do that today because seed is mostly owned by, uh, you know, Bear Monsanto and yeah. a couple of other companies. Uh, and they don't want you to be able to grow your own food. And now... The 45% figure I gave you, I believe now it's 0.1% of all fruits and vegetables are grown uh, in people's homes. Um, and so that's quite a quite a change. We have forgotten uh, how to do that. We've replaced it with lawns, and then we poison those lawns with Roundup and further uh, increase the problem. And just when it comes to the environmental, because I know Everyone wants to try and rip on vegans. Just to be clear, you don't need to eat uh, Beyond Burger or Impossible Burger or any of these highly processed crap foods made from corn uh, and GMO soy that is not necessary to be, be vegan. You can eat a whole food plant-based diet and uh, significantly reduce the harm that is being done in the environment as a result of those giant monocropping uh endeavors a hundred percent and i want to say i'm like mushrooms are my new favorite thing um and I, I all different kinds of gourmet mushrooms and i feel like as far as replacing meat i had friends over and i made a i used to make a taco pie with beef you know back in the day i don't know it was just a family recipe so i started using chopped mushrooms and, and i used a whole blend of them and I had friends over and i served it to everybody and everybody loved it and they were like i was like do you miss meat with this and they're like not at all like it was absolutely delicious actually tasted better and i felt better you had like heartburn after you eat the beef one and you just and it's i've really really gotten into mushrooms and that's my because and also mushrooms are a whole protein so you get like shiitake mushrooms you're getting a whole protein there so you i mean i think that I think we need to do more work with the fungus because they grow fast. They're extremely efficient. Um, I, I don't know. That's that's my new favorite food, all, all the different mushrooms. I 100% agree with that. Um, we, have a, uh, we have a local farm store. It is the coolest thing. It is called Mahonia Gardens. And is literally uh, this couple uh, raised... This is food on their farm, and they have four fridges at a stand that they constantly keep stocked. It's on the honor system. You literally go up, and no one's standing there, and you grab your fruits and veggies, and you put it in the cash box or put it in your credit card. And you know, everyone from out of town is like, "Are you worried that someone will steal it?" And it's like they say, if they really need the food that bad, then they can steal it. Um, and but it's the freshest fruits and veggies, and it's amazing. And then they also contract with other local farmers to get some berries and some mushrooms that uh, they don't have there. But every town in America needs this. Uh, some local farmers, whether or not they can buy their own land or the local government should be helping to fund this and providing uh, access to fresh fruits and vegetables for the community and mushrooms and we can do so much with mushrooms in many different environments. And when it comes to what you were telling me about tempeh is like my kind of go-to for a meat replacement. Um, but uh, mushrooms are 
so dang healthy that you know it's it's really plant diversity and i think there's a whole lot of solutions uh that the fungus can help us with that uh are largely ignored um uh, fungus and hemp uh you know so so much that could be done in our society um you know it's funny and they literally passed the climate bill in the senate today I haven't read the whole thing. I guarantee you there's not one word about mushrooms, not one word about hemp. Uh, like there's no, it's not solutions oriented because it's a combination of we need to consume less, which no one wants to talk about because our economic model is built on endless consumption on a finite planet. Um, but uh, we need new solutions as to how we're currently consuming uh and and hemp and mushrooms are a huge part of that and but instead it's like everyone go buy a sixty thousand dollar electric vehicle which is still going to use uh coal-powered energy that you're plugging into your house and that'll somehow save everything because now you're buying a new car uh it's bullshit yeah and i've thought the same thing when i think i don't know what the energy the difference is if you put gasoline in your car or if you plug it into a, like all of our energy where I live is all coal. So it's like, I don't know if it's, if it's a little bit better. I, I don't even know the answer to that. Um, I know if, if you, I guess if I got a car that used like fryer grease, like Willie Nelson style, went around to restaurants and let me get some of your grease, something like that might be, I don't know, but we just, we, we do have a, a consumption problem. We use way too much energy and we also consume way too much food. I mean, and the, the obesity thing and the, the people's being overweight, and I'm going to say something controversial, but it's what I believe. But um, we, I feel like we're getting to a place where we're not, not we're, we're accepting it, but not even that we're actually like being like, this is okay. Like, it's weird. I, Cause I don't think fat shaming is a good thing. If somebody has a, a weight problem, we shouldn't make fun of them and we should. And, but at the same time, should we prop them up and be like, you're you, and this is great. It's like, well, you're, you're eating too much and you're consuming too much and it's unhealthy for you, but it's also unhealthy for the planet. We have too many people, but also the too many people we have are over consuming more than they need and storing fat that is unhealthy for them. Well, shame is low vibrational and it's not going to create change, but uh, lack of health is not something to be celebrated. Um, and our pharmaceutical and healthcare system is not set up to have healthy people because health is created through nutrition and lifestyle and good sleep and meaningful work and community and time in nature uh, and sunlight and fresh air. And our, our society is not set up to encourage uh, these things. It's, it's set up to, um, start making you sick from the day you were born uh, and uh, profiting off of your lack of health throughout your lifetime and telling you your lack of health is okay and it's wonderful and you just do you and here's some pills to deal with the diseases and symptoms that are going to inevitably be present uh, due to your lack of health. Um, 75% of TV ad revenue comes from the pharmaceutical company. Most of the time, the only other commercials you're seeing are for a bacon cheeseburger or alcohol. And, you know, and then we distract the masses with sports, bread, and services. 
Um, and you got, you got athletes talking about, you know, advertising for Arby's and stuff like that. It's like, you think this athlete eats that stuff? No way. Cause they're in great shape and they work their ass off and they, and they're, but they're getting paid a lot of money to talk about this product that they wouldn't touch. Cause it's extremely unhealthy. I mean, and that's, that's our, our culture is definitely, um, taking a weird turn. And, you know, I go, I see there's overweight mannequins now. Um, at, at Target, there's a uh, there's overweight models and and uh, and and I understand people saying like this makes girls not feel shamed and I get that and there's something there's something sweet in that but at the same time I don't like where we're going where we're saying it's okay to be this it's like I don't think we should again we shouldn't shame but I don't think we should say be yourself like this like I think we should still be promote being healthy we should promote a healthy lifestyle but it's gotten to the point where people and that comes from people on the left where they'll they'll they get like, if you say anything about a, about someone being unhealthy, they get mad. They're like, you, you leave them alone. It's like, no, 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 no. It's, it is unhealthy to be overweight. It's like, am I crazy? Like, no, I mean, it's absolutely unhealthy to be uh, obese and 72% of our population is either overweight or obese. I used to be overweight. Uh, we absolutely have control um, over what we we put into our system and how we exercise or live sedentary lifestyles. We have choices. Now, oftentimes people that are not in lower socioeconomic situations will then argue, what about the people in lower socioeconomic situations? It's like, one, is that you? And if it's not, what's preventing you from making helpful changes in your diet and lifestyle? And two, poor people in lower socioeconomic situations just a reminder that rice, beans, potatoes, and bananas are some of the cheapest foods in the grocery store, and we're not making these decisions, but we also need to be supporting them uh, in making helpful changes. But they're, the pharmaceutical industry cannot profit off broccoli. When's the last time you saw a commercial for broccoli, cauliflower, apples, bananas, potatoes, rice? You're not ever going to see that. And... Uh, it's not why are healthy foods so expensive. Um, sometimes they are, and organic foods definitely are. But it's why are shitty processed uh, and sprayed with pesticide foods so cheap? Yeah, no, you are right. I mean, like if people that you know welfare and stuff, you they go they'll buy bags of Doritos and Pepsi and all these horrible foods, the center of the grocery store foods, and um, and you know then and then they have you know people will complain uh, people on welfare they don't want to work that they don't you know they're just slackers it's like well if you eat all that shit all day i don't think you're going to feel like doing a lot either i mean i i know I, if i've ever eaten fast food when i when i do if i'm on a road trip i feel awful afterwards it's not a healthy way to live and um yeah i it's we we like you said we need a systemic change we need actual because people aren't just going to like like the idea of bringing your own bags to the grocery store right i bring my own bag to the grocery store and because all we have is plastic, but it's not going to do very much with people bringing their own bags because not enough people are doing it. What we need is a law to outlaw the plastic bags like Rhode Island did, where you go to Rhode Island, every store has brown paper recycled bags and they're actually perfect. They put the handles on them nice so they're easy to carry. And, and that's just what you have to have. You don't have the plastic option. And that actually is going to make a, at least a, somewhat of a difference. You could still talk about bringing your own bags still better, of course, but the idea that plastic in Florida is just everywhere and we're right on the water. So how much of that's getting into our oceans? I mean, it's, it's, I don't know why that, how, why would that, how, why do we have plastic bags? I don't understand, but you know what I'm saying? Like I we mean, need- 
yeah, a couple of things when it comes to that. Seaspiracy um, is a good movie on Netflix. Uh, I believe 46% of all the macro plastic in the ocean is actually from discarded fishing nets, uh, which people don't pay attention to. So really to reduce plastic in society, uh, stop eating fish uh, is one of those solutions. Uh, but everyone's concerned about plastic straws, plastic bags. Absolutely, we should be. And hemp is another solution there. Hemp plastic, uh, which is biodegradable, and any real solutions oriented things would, uh, you know, help industries such as the hemp industry, as opposed to what plastics are made from oil and gas. And these are the people that uh, control things. So passing a law against plastic bags and putting it on the consumer, I, like that's, it's window dressing. Um, it is, it, I agree it's a problem and we can see it. And so it's a visible one, but it's not the bulk of, the problem. And again, it's putting it on the consumers. So while it's like, I can do things individually in my own life and we do bring uh, shopping bags to the grocery store and we never get plastic bags and we haven't gotten a plastic water bottles in seven years. And we bring our water bottle everywhere. And these individual things are important. And they also help show others that we're capable of taking this extra level of care and responsibility in our own lives and changing the things we're using and at the same time it's a, it's scratching the surface of you know the ways that we're destroying the planet um so it's it's like yeah we need to take responsibility but it's not to blame the individual because there are massive systemic things it's like a it needs to be a holistic change and unless we make those individual changes the system's not going to change um but we also you have to be careful about um i you know if we got rid of all the plastic bags in the world tomorrow we're not solving the plastic problem uh right. we're still not we're still not touching it and so, so so what you're saying is we need to move to away from petroleum plastics and go to like a hemp plastic and make that the law like like if you're going to use a plastic net you're going to use a hemp plastic net you're not going to use and so and I, I agree because if we if we put it all on the individual, which is kind of our culture to say, well, if you want to help the environment, you, that's on you. You do you and you you bring your own bag. You help the environment. But as, as far as the laws around it and what they're allowed to do, they're, they're not changing. So it's not creating a lot of change. Yes, it's, I think slowly people like you and me do, doing little things like that and other people doing that, it definitely makes a difference. And it's a good thing that we're doing that, but it's not making enough of a difference over the in the long run. And I, I, we're going to have to see something change in that. And uh, it's, um, it's unfortunate to think about, you know, the, the state of the earth right now and, the state, and not just the earth, the, the world, our politics, our everything is just kind of at a place right now where it's um, a little ominous, you know. I, it, you know, it all depends on perspective, because I also think um, it's moving really fast and hopefully more people are going to be um, seeing the uh, corruption and ways that we are pitted against each other. Um, it's always uh, guns or sexuality um, that they, they want us to be angry at our neighbors, abortion. These are these are really, really great topics for us to hate each other because um, they're really simple ways for us to disagree. And there needs to be some class awareness um, 
that uh, there's a reason that um, these are the issues that they want to stir up in us before an election to fight each other. And really both sides, the Republicans and Democrats are two sides of the same corrupt coin. And we need to uh, refuse both of them in the system. And it is not the Democrats fault or the Republicans fault. Like if you notice, there's really not much policy difference in any of the last four presidents. Uh, the, the wars keep going, the military industrial complex, you want to talk about climate, the United States military, if a country would be the 47th worst polluting country in the world. And that's just based on available data on what we know the military is doing. Um, but you will see uh, Bernie Sanders and the squad voting to fund a proxy war in Ukraine the same way that you'll see Republicans voting to fund a proxy war in Ukraine. Um, and you will see very little change of what we are doing to black and brown countries uh, in Africa and the Middle East um, under any president or or South America as we try to instigate coups and take over. Um, yeah. they, 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 all, they all agree when it comes to the military and they just passed that $840 billion funding bill for the military. Uh, it is you you look at society and where money is being spent and that's where it's being spent um and it it you know modern monetary theory of economics theoretically like not theoretically you don't no one ever asks how are you going to pay for it because it doesn't like you federal uh spending does not come from federal taxation we literally spend money into existence uh in the united states it is the U.S. dollar is based on nothing. Um, and when we tax billionaires, that's great and all to reduce income inequality, but actually isn't what funds uh, any programs whatsoever. And so this how are you going to pay for it mentality that they keep us in is a scarcity mindset, but it's never applied to war or to uh, corporations or bank bailouts or uh, oil and gas infrastructure, it's only ever applied to things that would help working people. And if if we were secure in our person, if we had uh, nutritious food, clean water, fresh air, uh, place to live, uh, we wouldn't be fighting each other so much. Um, and so, yeah. Well, well, what do you think, though? So you talk about us funding um, the war in Ukraine. What do you think... Um, what what could else could we do about it when you have a country like Russia who attacks another nation and they're basically without our help, they would take over Ukraine. It becomes a situation like what what do you do? How do you stop that from happening without funding it? Why is that uh, also history of why Russia invaded Ukraine? But regardless, why is it our responsibility um, or our business? Excuse me. Why is it any of our business? What is happening? um in russia and ukraine because we're a nato country and uh, ukraine's right on the border with nato countries and we're worried that if russia gets at nato's doorstep then we and we could face a serious problem because of uh the nuclear weapons that russia holds and that's why we can't directly go in and help them 
to help defend them. And it's, and again, I'm not an expert in any of this, this war stuff. And I honestly, I can't, I, I don't, the military industrial complex is far too overfunded and I don't, I'm not a big fan of it. But when you look at something like that, you go, I don't know, I don't know how you handle that. And I, and again, I'm watching the news in America. So what story am I getting fed anyway? You know, how much do I really know about what I'm talking about when I'm just listening to people on these networks talk about it? But NATO has been stepping closer and closer to Russia over the years, putting That's them true. into a position uh, very much that they felt they needed to do something and not justifying Russia's actions. And at the same time, what would we do if Russia had military bases in Mexico and Canada? That's um, because there's a hundred military bases around there. The United States has. Um, and so it's it's the country with 800 military bases around the world. Uh, that's us, uh, that is actively uh, the aggressor um, in this situation, uh, in Pelosi flying to Taiwan, um, uh, nuclear armed powers posturing against each other is not what we need. Uh, and that's you know, the United States is the biggest purveyor of violence in the world. Uh, and so to say that um, Russia is somehow our enemy or China. And I always it's so funny, too, because it's like it's not the Russian people. Just like it's not the American people that do this. It's the powers, the, the yeah. government powers. People don't want to fight wars. Uh, individuals don't want to fight wars. And they use a, you know, it's easy to get us afraid of someone that we've never met across the world. And then you'll find that people who travel around the world will tell you that people are generally the same anywhere you go. And they just want to be happy and healthy and have clean food and or clean water, healthy food and some joy in their life. And it's uh, war only ever benefits the uh military contractors and the people who create weapons uh never benefits the individuals and i'm sure the people on the ground in russia and china don't actually hate us quite as much as we uh make it out to be but um it is not we have an imperialist nature uh and we put pressure on countries like russia and china um and Iran and North Korea, and uh, we're the invaders. We have been for a long time, and we need to uh, disengage from our imperialist nature, uh, demilitarize the world, and start working together on this shared planet that we all exist on. Um, because we can either act from a scarcity mindset and fight with each other or recognize that we can create abundance here, but it's never going to happen when we're fighting with each other. A hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree with that. And if we spent all the money that we spend on war on education instead, then we could immediately start solving these problems that we're talking about, like um, overpopulation by, by providing education in third world countries and across the globe. And there's so much we could do with advancements in technology if we weren't fighting each other. And like you said, the scarcity mindset, we have created a world that does have enough to feed everybody. If we started, and we need to start facing that reality and living that way. But we live, like you said, in a way that we've lived for thousands of years where 
they're out to get my stuff. I better be have a strong defense against them. And if they come anywhere near me, I'm going to shoot them. All that mentality. And also one thing you said about the uh, the mentality of the people on the ground in these wars. I, I'm not see the story. It was such a powerful story I read in uh, The Lost City of Z. I think his name was Percy Fawcett, the explorer. He was uh, uh, he was called to World War One, and they were fighting. I think that was the book. It doesn't matter. The story was they were bombing or shooting at each other, both sides, the Germans and the English. And it was Christmas Eve. The firing stopped at night. Christmas Eve, they started putting the, the soldiers started putting up Christmas lights and and just just to, to feel a little bit normalcy there. And the other side joined them in their celebrations for Christmas, and they played soccer together and actually passed gifts to each other and shared chocolate. And we're we're hanging out. And these are the, the the ground troops and the and the people in charge said we're going to let this go on. But in the morning it goes back, and the next morning by order they were sent back to each side and went back to blowing each other up. And it just shows that the soldiers did not hate each other, didn't want to be there, but they had to take orders. And like you said, this is a top-down situation where we, we, that we listen to these warmongers and the people, some people, people want to love each other. They don't want to be a part of their, these games where they're blowing each other up. Yeah. Teach your children to refuse military service. Most of our military comes from people who are, uh, in poor socioeconomic situations and don't have other options, which is the same as it's been for hundreds of years. Uh, the rich don't fight in wars. Um, they just profit from them. Uh, and so refusing to fight and convincing people that refuse to fight, um, that is a correct way forward in my mind. Uh, and selling military weaponry uh, to people around the world is not a way to end violence around the world. Um, it's interesting because we're happy to send them guns in Ukraine and, and uh, Saudi Arabia, but then uh, they're fighting to make it, make it so that we can't own guns here. And I, I don't own a gun uh, and I am, not in favor of disarming the proletariat and saying that the state is the only one who's allowed to have guns. Uh, and, you know, there's a slippery slope going that way. And, uh, you know, uh... yeah, it's, it's, that's a tough one for me. And I, and I do own uh, two guns and, and I know how to, you know, I go shoot them, but I, so I enjoy the, the sport of shooting skeet. So I go out and we, we, we shoot, but I am um, right. Yeah. And, and at the same time, though, I've never been a gun person. And, and but I just feel like when it comes to the gun violence that's happening, I do think that there's I, I think we should really focus on better mental health in this country. There are people that aren't well. And also, I mean, I don't know it's, if that's such a touchy issue, because I don't think if I you know, if I had children sitting in the school, I would be fucking like scared. But I mean, at the same time, though the chances of this happening are still extremely low. The media makes it act like it's happening. Every school, you know, it's just constantly, everybody's getting shot, but it is a problem. And it's in, when it, people, when public places get shot up, I, I don't know how we handle it. I think trying to take people's guns is not going to necessarily, I don't, I don't know. It's such a, as long as we are the biggest purveyor, purveyor of violence around the world, we will continue seeing violence at home. Um, it is reciprocal. We cannot uh, encourage violence uh, 
we signed people up from the military at age 18. You who've studied psychedelics in the brain, I know knows that like, we're still not fully formed until we're 25. Uh, And there's a reason that they get you to sign up when you're 18 years old. And it's not that um, I'm not calling veterans stupid. I'm calling 18 year olds stupid. And I was stupid back then. And I, I was in uh, high school when 9-11 happened. And I'm really glad I wasn't 18 because they really sure did stir up some jingoistic uh, mentality uh, in me that I, you know, made me angry at what turned out to be the wrong people. Um, and I was too stupid to know that back then. And uh, yeah, man, 18 year olds. I know, you know, about 9-11, um, I mean, 100% agree with you too. 18 year old is, I was a, a, an idiot when I was 18. I mean, my brain wasn't fully developed. I mean, I, but um, I, the 9-11 thing, I was reading this thing by Yuval Noah Harari and it was so, he put it in such a good way about, they asked him, cause he said the world itself is less violent than it's been in a long time on a global scale. And they said, well, what about terrorism? You know, about these terrorist attacks. He said, you know, more, more Americans die from diabetes than by a long stretch than terrorism. Like Coca-Cola is more of a danger than a terrorist. He's like, how terrorists work? Terrorists actually don't control, have much power at all. They might slip in a, a, a secret, you know, a sucker punch every once in a while. But what they, what they are is they're a, they're a fly in a China shop that wants to destroy the China shop. How do you destroy a China shop if you're a fly? You can't push over a plate but you can buzz in that bull's ear and you can get that bull to chase you into that China shop. And that bull's going to tear the shit out of that China shop. And that's what the terrorists were. They buzzed into the American bull ear and we went after him hardcore. And we created a place where we took out Saddam Hussein. We created a region that the terrorists could then thrive in. And that, that's what they wanted us to do. We, we played right into their hands. We didn't stop, step back and say, all right, this happened. Let's uh, figure out how to stop that on a security level. Let's maybe show a little more compassion to the world, figure out why that why some of those reasons do hate us for doing some wrong things. But we didn't do any of that. We just went, military, go. They buzzed in the bull's ear. Yeah, terrorist is another one of those words that they like to use against us. Um, like I'm an animal rights activist and, they, you know, under their domestic violent extremism rules uh theoretically i'd be a terrorist um terrorist is one of those words they use against people they don't like really we're the ones who create terror around the world drone strikes i believe 90 percent of drone strike kills are civilians um we create terror around the world and then we see terror at home they're invariably connected whether or not people want to see that uh and you know there's it's very crafted stuff that you're seeing on television about what's going on in russia and ukraine um and if we were really watching what happens as a result of our drone strikes and the wars that we're waging around the world uh on tv every night we would not be in favor of them and the media is very good at uh you know encouraging our pride and patriotism in uh america and what we're doing and that we're somehow have moral authority uh in the world which is all garbage um always look who's profiting from these things it's uh, no one is better off because we're fighting wars around the world um the war on terror uh additionally 
was a way to take away our civil liberties with the Patriot Act. Almost every single war since uh, going into Iraq was based on the authorization for use of military force in 2001 that they finally ended in 2019, I believe. They, Congress abdicates their role of declaring war and we just, we fight. We endlessly fight other countries. We endlessly fight each other until you refuse and until you start refusing, until you start revolting. Uh, and anyone that's advocating uh, refusal and revolution, um, those are the voices that they want to censor the quickest. Um, any voice that encourages us to hate each other, those are those are great to keep us in this squabble. Yeah, and, and power has always done that. They did it in the United States when they had white indentured servants and black slaves. Well, how do we maintain power with a group of people that could easily overthrow us? Well, get them to hate each other and spread propaganda and make them and make them feel like they're they're different than each other. And that's what you know the United States was almost built on that racism that kept us fighting each other, the the working class fighting each other, and it's still happening today. The working class is constantly fight, you know fighting over sides and stuff like that. But it's all about the, so that the people in charge can keep doing the bullshit they're doing without us paying any attention to it. And some of us are paying attention now. I think that's one of the, there's negatives with the internet. There's negatives with social media for sure, but there's also positives. Information is now flowing freely and we can, you know, a lot of us see what's happening for the first time where it, for a long time, the, the whole narrative was controlled by what was on your television. Now they're, they're trying to figure out how to control that narrative and they're, they're losing grip on it. And that's, there's positives and negatives to that because it opens up a space for for lies and things that aren't true, but it also opens up a space for the truth that's been been lost. So we can kind of figure out for ourselves versus just having to believe what we're told. Yeah, I think key to that is uh, censorship is wrong in all forms. Uh, don't trust who's telling you to cover up lies. Um, lies. Who's lying? The government is the number one uh, bullshitter in the world. Uh, don't trust your government. That's a start. Um, and always ask yourself, uh, am I really angry at this person, my neighbor, who disagrees with me? Or is there somebody else that's uh, possibly inflaming this? Where does my anger stem from? Um, why am I angry? Is there anything I can do in my own life to change this? Does being angry at my neighbor in any way help them to change or understand my position? Does censoring speech, which, yeah, Twitter censors speech all the time. The government uh, is involved uh, in all the major tech companies uh, and censoring speech that they disagree with. Uh, fact checkers don't actually check facts. They put out propaganda and you need to be able to discern for yourself what is true and what is a lie and asking anybody to do it. Uh, the government is not your father. Uh, this paternalistic idea that, you know, the government is going to shut down bad thoughts. There are no wrong thoughts. There are no wrong thoughts. You're allowed to think anything. Shouldn't attach to those thoughts, especially thoughts that you you see don't bring love and joy into the world. But you're allowed to think anything you want to and you're allowed to hear anything you want to. And anyone telling you that you shouldn't hear this or shouldn't think this, shouldn't listen to that person. Why? Yeah, the thought police, right? 1984. It was a big brother that they're there to tell you what to think, how to feel, 
who to love and scariest line in the book was the last line where he finally realized he loved big brother it's like oh some scary shit so um uh, one thing i want to before we wrap this up um you had a quote on your fridge by um by teach not han if i'm saying that right uh what was the quote it was about um treating yourself I believe it was um if you uh, yeah, uh, it's gratitude uh being healthy being healthy is an expression of gratitude to the entire cosmos, uh, trees, the birds, everything. Um, I used that quote for motivation when I was making changes, and now I've come to understand that it's true. Uh, and when you change your health, you change your life. Uh, and we have absolute control over changing our health. For me, it was switching to a whole food plant-based diet. Uh, it is a vegan diet. I started vegetarian. I went vegan. Then I learned about health and nutrition of that vegan diet. And it was whole foods, whole foods as they come in nature. Um, stay away from uh, pesticide laden foods as best as you can, both for the world you want to support and because they're not helpful. But, um, you know, dairy, uh, T. Colin Campbell. Um, basically did a study and believes casein, which is the protein found in dairy to be the most relevant carcinogen. Um, Forks Over Knives is a good movie to watch for that. It's the one that started me on my health journey. Watch The Game Changers on Netflix. That's a, another good one, more recent. It's all based on uh, that work and understanding that the healthiest people on the planet, if you've looked into the blue zones, they have a 97% plant-based diet. They also uh, spend time outdoors, generally have a spiritual practice of some sort, um, which I think is ignored. Uh, and, and then uh, level of activity. We have choices. We make choices every day. We don't make time for the things that make us healthy. And the more time that we make for those things, the happier we will become. Uh, and the more mentally healthy we will become. You can't be uh, mentally healthy if you're metabolically unhealthy um it's all connected our our body our mind our spirit uh unhealth is a cloud that hangs over us and so being healthy in our own individual lives is a way to help ourselves and the planet and as you slowly make those changes and it's a journey and you can't get mad at yourself and you can't live in guilt and shame but when you ever are motivated to make those changes, we have so much power. We can make so many changes in our life and then you'll change the way you think and you'll change the way you act. It starts with a belief and intent and then action and then it becomes your life and then that's just who you are. And so uh, being healthy is an expression of gratitude to the cosmos, the trees, the birds, everything. Uh, and it truly is. So I, um, you know, encourage you to live as healthfully as possible. I love that. I love that. And that's, it's so true too, because you're, you're going to be more inclined to want to do positive things in the world and to express more love if you feel content with yourself. And that's why it starts with yourself. Because if you're in a horrible place in your life, what's the chances that you're going to go out and just be a great person to other people, even though you're not liking yourself? It's You're not. When you see somebody yelling at someone in the store or yelling at their server, you want to hate that person because they're like, oh, this person's being an asshole. But the reality is that person is not okay. 
they're hurting themselves and they're putting their toxic the toxicity that they have in themselves they're spewing it onto other people and so uh, yeah so compassion but yeah like you said if you and also uh, one thing about the so i'm i'm not vegan i um i though i've cut i used to it used to be meat every single meal was what's the meat in this meal that was every meal and now it's uh, i have days when i'm I want, uh, days when i am vegan and then i have um uh, but most meals though most meals are not I have no meat at all. And that's most, and that's something I've changed where I do have all like, Oh, I have friends over. We're going to have meat this night. And again, uh, I, I just think that if a lot of people aren't, ref- are going to refuse to give up meat. And I'm not saying that I'm right in my, my like, maybe I, maybe it'd be better for me to be completely vegan, but I feel better if I have some meat, but the thing is meat in your diet, con- like constantly is a huge problem. I had health problems. Uh, they, I had a, again, it goes back to the pharmaceutical industry. I had a problem with cholesterol that they said would never, ever be healed uh, with the diet. I had to take this medicine. So I took the medicine and it was expensive and I took it for not too long. And eventually I just changed my diet and I went to a different doctor and got my blood work and I'm, and I'm, and I'm fine. And I think it was cutting out most of the meat. My diet was the biggest change because all that fat. And, um, but the thing is I was reading or uh, listening to this nutritionist and he said, that if you want to, uh, said, what's the first advice for a healthier diet? And he said, switch to a high fiber diet. And then the guy said, well, should you tell people to eat less meat? And he said, if you switch to a high fiber diet, you, you will eat less meat. That's just a part of that diet. And high fiber diet is, like you said, the blue zones. And the blues, Am I correct? The blue zones are the places that have the highest percentage of people that live to be over 100? Yeah, the longest living populations. Um, Okinawa, Japan, Ikaria, Greece, uh, Loma Linda, California. Uh, there's a place in Costa Rica and a place in Italy. I can't think of, I believe, um, yeah, the longest living populations. And I know specifically Okinawa, Japan, 70% of their diet was purple sweet potatoes, um, which is crazy. Uh, but yeah. Um, I don't even know what those are. I'm going to have to look that up. Purple sweet potatoes. Yeah. Oh, they're fantastic. Um, I've had purple regular potatoes. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, purple sweets. Uh, get them at the grocery store. They're they're amazing. Um, it, uh, it is 100% possible to live a helpful whole food, plant-based diet. It, uh, in most cases, will help uh, get rid of the major causes of death, heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes, um, type two diabetes, uh, to be clear. Um, I'm not here to judge anyone for, uh, what they choose to consume. My only goal is to encourage, uh, an increase in those fruits, vegetables, grains, and legumes, um, as an, this is where it gets, it's like veganism is not a diet. It's an ethical belief that we should not be exploiting animals uh, and it is not necessary. And so the plant-based diet um, is a part of that. And any way people can move towards a plant-based diet is great. And 92% of people in America are deficient in fiber and fiber, just to be clear, is only found in plants. Animals don't have fiber. Um, cholesterol found in animals, not in plants. Um, and so eating a high fiber diet, of course, is going to have you eating more plant-based because fiber does not exist 
in an in animal based foods, you're not eating fiber. Um, everyone's so concerned about probiotics now. Probiotics is the new thing. Well, that's great, but if you don't have prebiotics, fiber, um, you're just gonna eat take that probiotic pill and pass it right out. Prebiotics plus probiotics equals postbiotics. Uh, most people have never heard that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and, the, and the probiotic pills, they said that doesn't create a diverse enough culture that they haven't got the pills right. And they said it's better. You actually get your, a lot of the probiotics you get in your gut are found in the natural environment from actually from, if you're out gardening and you don't wash your hands before you eat, that's a good thing. If you're at the subway, wash your hands, right? If you're in public place like that, but if you're in nature or whatever, we get those, those things naturally. And like you said, the prebiotics are how they thrive. And that's what creates a diverse gut. And that is very important, but they want to sell us pills. Everything's like, well, here's the fix. Eat whatever you want and then take this pill. Eat whatever you want. Take this pill, maybe cover up some symptoms. Maybe not. Maybe it'll placebo because our brain is the strongest thing in this universe. We can create our, we can create our reality. And the fact that the placebo effect is so uh, powerful, um, we can be we can be changing our state of reality all the time if if we believed uh, these things. But then when it comes, I just want to circle back uh, now off topic because we've gone this direction. But I just pulled up a quote uh, the, the other day when we're talking about our neighbors. If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. And that was Longfellow. Um, and. Yeah, I don't know what someone's struggling with, why they're eating unhealthful foods that continue their cycle of despair, um, why they're so angry at the world uh, or what it's done to them or what they've experienced in their life that turns them into the way they are. I just know yelling at them and telling them they're doing something wrong isn't any way going to help them or change them. And I can't change them, only they can change themselves, but I can make one think. Um, and uh, heart disease is the number one killer of humans, not COVID, not any, not anything else. It's heart disease and heart disease is a hundred percent tied to our diet and it's largely preventable. And it's just, it's tough for people to see cause it's long-term and smoking cigarettes was long-term, but it's more, it's more direct. Um, like you can, you can literally see someone smoking a cigarette and like smell that and know that that's harmful. But for some reason, when people go to the grocery store and instead of going to the produce section, they're shopping in the middle of all the processed crap or they're eating uh, large amounts of animal-based products. They don't as directly see that they're killing themselves. Um, and that's, that's a shame. And that's because we evolved in a and not in a grocery store setting. There was never a place you could just go and have access to all the meats and sugars and everything. So we, when we did come across something that had fat or sugar, which also meat was a, such a rare treat for our ancestors that they would pick it off. Like if another animal killed, killed something, we might get the, the, the bone marrow or something that was barely left over. And we craved that. So, but now that we have a, 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 you know, a store that we can go in and just pick up packets of meat, 
our you know our evolution tells us we need to eat this now and store it because we're not going to have access to this tomorrow but the reality is we'll have access to it every single meal now and that's why it's creating a lot of wreaking havoc on our health and and i actually and i've been interesting and in, in kind of dancing around the vegan idea because i do like you said the just the for the aspect of how we treat our animals um do you take supplements as, as a vegan? Are there supplements that you have to take that you're not getting from because you do require some meat or, or is that actually a fiction that I've heard? Um, so you generally should be taking a B12 supplement. So should most omnivores, 39% of all Americans are deficient in B12. Um, they actually supplement the animals with B12 as well. So they're feeding the animals B12 supplements. And so it's like half a fiction because when you're eating meat that's been supplemented versus taking the supplement yourself, you're not getting the B12, which is a bacteria that used to be found in the soil. And now we sanitize all of our foods and we've degraded all of our soils such that B12 is not found in the proportion that it needs to be. So B12 is something everyone should generally be taking. Um, but you can always get a blood test, uh, and check your B12. Uh, and I do, and I, you know, I take a spray once every three or four days and my B12 is, uh, above average. Uh, and so that's where it needs to be vitamin D when I'm not, uh, outside of summer, um, just because of where we are on the earth. Um, vitamin D supplement. uh, also shown to be beneficial for COVID, but uh, regardless, all respiratory diseases and then a whole bu a bunch of other aspects of your health, you get vitamin D by spending time in the sun um, when it's in summer or spring or fall, not in the winter time because of the angle of the sun, you're not getting enough. And then wear less clothes when you're outside, make sure you're getting that skin exposure, even 15, 20 minutes in the sun will get you all the vitamin D you need uh, at the times of year that you're spending in the sunlight. I specifically, I personally, excuse me, take an iodine supplement. Iodine is only found, uh, mostly found in fish. Uh, and so when I stopped eating fish in my diet, I wasn't getting enough iodine. Um, it can be found in sea vegetables uh, and fish eat the sea vegetables, but I don't get, I don't eat enough uh, sea vegetables in my diet to get enough iodine. So I take a, a drop uh, once every few days as well. Um, just to be clear, omnivores can be deficient in nutrients and micronutrient testing is something that we're not really aware of or doing in our healthcare system, because if we were, then we could very easily adjust our diet where necessary um, to account for whatever micronutrient deficiency we have and vegans and omnivores or carnivores are going to have uh, different uh, micronutrients of concern. Um, and then the only other one I take is an omega-3 from an algae oil uh, fish don't have omega-3s. They eat algae. Algae is where the omega-3s come from, specifically EPA and DHA. Um, you get ALA, alpha-linic acid, from uh, hemp seeds, flax seed, chia seeds, and walnuts. Uh, and our body is supposed to be able to convert ALA into EPA and DHA. 
but the conversion ratio is not the same in all of us. And so even though I do have a daily dose of one of those seeds, if not multiple of them, um, my conversion rate is not high enough. So again, once every couple of days, I take an omega-3. That's all the supplements I personally take. Um, so no, no iron. Cause I hear iron a lot when talked about people that don't eat. Meat. Yeah. It's funny with iron. They thought I would be deficient. Uh, when I switched over to a vegan diet, actually iron is very high in, uh, nuts, seeds and, uh, and dark leafy greens. Um, so pumpkin seeds are incredibly high in iron. I, I eat a lot of pumpkin seeds because yeah. you know, five HCP or tryptophans and pumpkin seeds also. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, Plant diversity is what we should be striving for, uh, both for the microbiome, uh, specifically for the microbiome, but whether you're going to be uh, 100% vegan diet or 97% of the way there, um, or wherever you're going to end on that spectrum, uh, the number one indicator of a healthy gut microbiome is plant diversity. I believe that was Dr. Will Bolshewitz who wrote Fiber Fueled. Uh, said that and basically uh, eating, you should strive for 30 to 40 different fruits, vegetables, grains, legumes, different plants in your diet every single week. Um, count them. Go ahead. Think about it. Do you eat 30 or 40? Um, spices count. You can add spices, um, but you'd be healthier or better off having 30 or 40 plants and a little bit of animal product than being a vegan and only eating eight to 10 plants you'd be lacking uh, diversity in your nutrients and microbiome. Um, and so, um, you know, stri strive for plant diversity. Um, other than that, supplements. So iron, also you can cook in a cast iron uh, pan. You're going to pick up some of that iron as well. People don't really realize that. But um, we can't be so reductionist in our thinking uh, it is not as simple as we need iron, we need vitamin C, uh, calcium, uh, right. vitamin A, and we can just take supplements and then eat a crappy diet. Um, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. We don't know everything that make every healthful thing that we get from an apple. Um, we can break down what the uh, micronutrient components are that we're getting from this vet and minerals. Uh, from an apple and we still don't know all of the processes on how an apple works. And so outside of those couple of supplements that I listed, um, in general, the healthy way to get all these things is from your diet uh, and not from supplements. And the supplement industry uh, also makes a whole lot of money selling things that people don't need that they're trying to say, take this pill and it will negate your horrible, crappy diet and lifestyle. And that right. is simply a falsehood. Right. And, I, and I've done the same. I used to wake up and take my all my different vitamins. And then I started looking up, well, what what foods have these vitamins? And I just started eating those foods like pumpkin seeds was a big one because uh, the, the chip, the fan. And then uh, I do still I do take a, a B12 um, vitamin. I do take omega three. And um, because I feel like the fish oil is really good and eating a high fish diet is is actually not for me. And also environmentally, it's not. And um and then vitamin D, I live in Southwest Florida. So our, our, this year around here, and, and I found out one thing I've changed is uh, when I wake up, I go for a dog walk and I, and I get the sun, but also I don't put on sunglasses. And it was something I, I heard in a podcast was getting the natural light in your eyes is actually, it triggers your brain to start creating dopamine. 
Yeah, uh, sun gazing. I always wonder about that one with because I wear contacts or glasses, um, but it's supposed to activate the pineal gland as well. Um, and iodine uh, can help decalcify your pineal, uh, raw cacao powder. There's a whole bunch of things. Um, <laughs> you know what calcifies your pineal? Fluoride. And we put fluoride in our water. Why are they trying to calcify your pineal gland? Mm, you even ever crazy. heard of the pineal gland? I know you have, Aaron, have. but <laughs> anyone who's listening to this. Um, the third eye. Yeah. Doctors don't know much about the pineal gland. Ask your doctor about the pineal gland. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. Uh, my doctor, I don't even, I, I can't stand going to the doctor. I, I had a, a horrible gout attack and it was after COVID. I had COVID um, recently and it was weird. I haven't had gout in years. And again, this goes, I don't know exactly what what happened but um either way extremely painful i call my doctor and i just say can i get a prescription for tramadol which is like the lowest level opioid possible but i've been taking ibuprofen i was in extreme pain and it used and years ago when i had a gut attack they they gave me tramadol and it worked it helped with the pain and this time definitely not they were like no to the tramadol and it's because of the opioid thing it's like oh did you just save me from a heroin addiction like what why can't I get a low grade opioid while I'm in pain until my medicine helps out? And it's like, I just, the doc, I, I just, I can't stand the, the medical industry at all. They're not, they don't want to help their patients. And they, they've tried to, like I said, keep me on drugs forever that they said I couldn't diet out of that. I proved wrong diet, at, diet out of it. My cholesterol's fine cutting meat out. And I'm actually interested in trying a uh, look at the vegan diet. And you said one thing about micronutrient testing. Is that something available online? Like I can order a kit or I can go to my doctor and tell them I want to do a micronutrient test. Yeah. Um, so I, okay. So uh, the our healthcare system sucks, right? I have, uh, I pay for my own health insurance um, and it has an extremely high deductible. And so I try to avoid the doctor at all costs because, mm. because of the costs. Right. Um but we do get one free annual physical along with paying that premium. And then at that physical, I have generally just asked for that and then asked if they would do it, uh, kind of code it under preventive testing. I don't know that they all will. Um, I said I was a vegan and I want to make sure. Um, and so I was able to get most of this stuff uh, for free. Um, and uh, you can also get it online and pay for that. And I, uh, I want to say, hold on real quick, because I have tested uh, my B12, my A1C, A1C is uh, not a micronutrient test, but that's a, a measure of how you're dealing with blood glucose and whether or not you have diabetes. Um, iron, iodine, vitamin D, uh, I test my testosterone, make sure I'm there. Um, I have also tested, where's the other tests? I have this thing. I have them in an email and I can't find it. Um, but basically any, anything you want to test, you can, you can basically get a test for, um, Omega, I did an Omega three, six ratio test, uh, and found out I was deficient, um, in EPA. Uh, and that's why I started taking the supplement. Uh, and so basically it's like to know you have to test. And then once you test, if you're deficient in something, then you can adjust your diet and supplementation to be there. But if I didn't know, um, 
through this test, then I would never know that my iodine were low and that I needed to change that. And I specifically had to ask the doctor for these tests. I, I tested zinc, um, asked the doctor for these tests because they would never recommend them. They are under our system considered unnecessary. We don't really address things until they become a problem as opposed to being proactive, seeing whether we have a problem and whether we can address it on the front end. And so um, there might be other micronutrients that you personally want to test for. Um, but yeah, I it's the one thing that I try and get as many uh, blood tests for free as I can at the annual physical. And then outside of that, now that I've done all this testing, I know where I am. I've adjusted my diet properly. I eat a variety, a myriad of whole food plants, and I make it my mission to eat as many different plants as I possibly can to encourage a healthy microbiome. Um, now that I know this, unless some specific health issue comes up, I'm just going to go in for my annual physical, keep testing my stuff, stay away from the doctor as much as possible. And I started actually using a naturopathic doctor, um, which is more of a holistic thought process um, on treating the body. And I'm much happier with the relationship I have with the naturopath than the uh, medical doctor. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look into something like that too, because I, I the doctor is just so unappealing to me. I don't feel like I get a lot out of it, but um, and I don't go very often at all. But um, one more question is: when you cook, do you cook in uh, oils? I um, so I believe the healthiest is also um, salt, oil, sugar free. Um, my partner still enjoys oil. And so anytime I cook for myself is completely no oil. If I'm cooking, I'm using either water or uh, a veggie broth, low sodium, uh, soy sauce, vinegar. Um, and if the soy sauce, low, low sodium, normally a tamari. Um, and so I don't cook with oil. My partner does. And so maybe a couple meals a week, I will have uh, a minimal amount of oil because she's also aware of my uh, non wanting to eat oils. And I got myself to a place of really poor metabolic health at the back end of my 20s. And so I took more aggressive uh, dietary measures to change my lack of health, whereas she never got to the horrible place I was. Uh, and, you know, still, still enjoys, uh, some oils on things, but oftentimes because she recognized that too, um, you know, she'll add oil at the end and just to her portion. And so, um, yeah. again, I'm not telling anybody how to, uh, how to do, um, but, uh, Dr. John McDougall, uh, is a good one to look into who would talk about this. He's about the starch solution. Uh, T. Colin Campbell, Caldwell Esselstyn, um, Alan Goldhammer, all these are great doctors. The Real Truth About Health um, is a free conference online um, every single year. Uh, they put out free videos. Um, it's a bunch of doctors uh, talking about uh, diet, nutrition, climate, uh <laughs> telephone, you know, 5G, uh, carcinogenity, uh, 
carcinogenicity, uh, you know, all, all types of stuff um, about how we're destroying the planet and ourselves and how we can um, help live uh, in harmony with the planet and ourselves. I love that. Um, yeah. So let, let's go wrap this up. But one thing I want to say, because we went on this whole tangent about health and I think health is so important. One more time. Can you just uh, uh, say that quote again? I teach not Han because I, I, I love it. And I think it's a great way to just wrap up the podcast. Being healthy is an expression of gratitude to the whole cosmos, the trees, the birds, everything. Awesome. So thank you so much for being on here. Let's, uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up, but it can just, uh, stay on for just a second. All right. All right. Peace, Nicks. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you like what we're doing, go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Peace on Drugs Podcast and go to www.thepeaceondrugs.com slash subscribe and subscribe to our newsletter. We're going to end this with some Twiggy Branches, Dr. Dealer. Peace out. You pay for what you can't. Do.